0: Hello, guys, and welcome to another round table here at brotherlygame.com. I'm Sean Sullivan, assistant editor for the site. And after two games, the union have qualified for the knockout stages. Today, I'm joined by two contributors here for Brotherly Game, as well as a special guest, uh, Chase Sr. So let's just go ahead and get started. Uh, Let's do an introduction, guys. So Chase, let us know some stuff about you and uh, how you got roped into
1: this. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Sean reached out to me yesterday asking if I would be part of this roundtable discussion. Sean and I went to Temple University together as evidenced by his great Temple polo there. We did a lot of TV and digital work while we were there a few years ago. Um, And right now, I'm currently working at WNEP-TV in Scranton, Pennsylvania as a reporter, multimedia journalist, and podcast host. I cover everything from news to sports, amateur, professionally, college. Uh, My podcast right now, it's called The Chase Down, and I cover a variety of subject matters on that. It's mostly uh, sports-oriented, but I also dive into some pop culture, music, cuisine, lifestyle, mental health, and and some stuff like that, just some other interests, but it's mostly uh, sports-oriented. And then I also have uh, another podcast that, I helped recently launch, it's called The Underrated Hour with Matt McGloin. He is uh, a former Penn State NFL and XFL quarterback. That, of course, is a football-heavy podcast. So staying busy with everything that I'm doing and uh, happy to be a part of this roundtable discussion. Thanks to Sean and haven't seen him in a while.
2: What's up? My name is Justin. I'm a contributor at Brother of the Game. Started off contributing, I guess, about a year ago. I uh, pretty much do a lot of stats and data stuff. Um, I'm currently a PhD student, so I deal a lot with data analytics already, and I just, you know, sports data science is pretty interesting to me and a hobby. So that's kind of where I get my contributions from this is my first roundtable, so I'm pretty excited to talk about it.
3: What's up? I'm Chris Bratton.
2: I uh, start contributing to
3: Brotherly Game as the Harrisburg City Islanders correspondent. Uh, moved to the Penn FC correspondent and then have been covering uh, Union, Union to Bethlehem Steel uh, from time to time when I get the chance. Trying to contribute here from uh, uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, so covering things from Central PA. Uh, kind of given that, uh, not, uh, you know, slightly different perspective from the people who are down in the Philly area. I just see uh, see soccer a little differently, but uh, mostly I've been excited about the MLS's back. But uh, I don't, uh, other things about it have been, you know, less well-received so far. But I'm glad to be able to uh, discuss that with some people, see what other people think. Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whoever wants whatever you want to call it, game kicked off ten thirty.
0: 30 Union scored five minutes into the match. Everyone thought pretty awesome. Kind of kept with the day where it was gold galore for the other two games. Uh, Chris, did you expect the Union to get into the knockout stages this early? Within just two games.
3: Yeah, I uh, I didn't think they were going to lock it up like this uh, because I just remembered the Dallas game, you know, where they just couldn't put anything together. And then the LA game was exciting, but still was just a draw. So you know, they had coming into this, there was a lot to be excited about. But at the same time, they hadn't really proven anything yet. So I thought there was a chance they could have gone back to square one and didn't get any points. But they got the win over New York, and then they really enter Miami, you know, uh, as much as they have all this backing, kind of are showing that they're an expansion team. And so they Union did what they needed to do against them. And so two games, they got it locked down. So it's like, you know, put your mind of the World Cup, where like some of, the, uh, some of the big countries, you know, they get those first two wins, and then they get to relax, which hasn't really been the Union's M.O., but that – they, they did what they needed to do with this tournament, which is exciting. Before it was still that
0: group of six, obviously, before the tournament started, uh, group A had six teams in it. No one was kicked out. Did you see that? Or once the, sting, once the groups got realigned, did you think maybe Union had a chance in, in against Inter-Miami to clinch basically a spot in knockout?
2: Yeah, so I think when it was first announced and it was group of six, I think the format was pretty confusing, first of all, that why they would have one group of six and the rest, you know, seemed to, that they could have easily arranged it so that uh, the odds weren't going to be stacked against the group of six like they were initially. Um, but I know whenever it came out, 538, as long along with a lot of other odds makers, had the union's odds to make the round of 16 and further pretty, pretty high so I was confident from that that we would make the round of 16, and definitely once the realignment happened and going into this game, I thought that it'd be, you know, a pretty big boost to the players if they were to be the first team to clinch or one of the first teams to clinch, you know, in any sort of group uh, formatting, if you can clinch within the first two games, gives you the third game to kind of prepare, you know, mess or, you know, tweak your game plan a little bit, and so that's a really big, I, guess, I would say, motivation. So I was hopeful they would do it. I don't think I was ever, I think the team is really good. So, um, you know, I was, went into it thinking, you know, expectations were high, I would say. Chase, do you
0: see the union trying to take the game and try to win Monday or just try to get more players involved, getting more players some time off the bench just to get their feet moving.
1: Yeah. So I want to answer that question and then piggyback off of your last question. Obviously right now we're in such unprecedented times and we've never encountered a situation like this before in all sports, including the MLS where these teams had four months off and these seasons were either halted or they're being restarted. And I think because of that four month break, we're going to see a bunch of weird stuff. And I think we're going to see a lot of upsets. And this is all across the board. I'm talking MLS. I'm talking Major League Baseball. I'm talking uh, NHL and NBA playoffs. I don't think necessarily the best teams are always going to win this is a weird situation and I think a lot of weird things are going to happen and I think some of the teams that are the healthiest some of the teams that were in areas where they were able to train more so than other teams that have their conditioning up are going to be the ones who win some of these matches and some of these games and, and really rise uh, to the occasion and go on a little bit of a run and again, I think that's going to happen across all sports. We're just going to see weird things happen because we've never encountered a situation like this before. And a lot of the athletes either took the time off as a way to get better, work on their games and keep their conditioning up, or others, uh, which is totally understandable, might have taken the time off to just kind of take a step back, focus on their health, and really take the safe route if they felt as though this situation was dangerous. Answering uh, the last question, Sean, I think that anytime time you can win a match, win a game, you're going to try to do so. And I think that's especially important right now, given that I don't think that the teams, the players are in peak conditioning. So if you have an opportunity to kind of work on the lungs a little bit, work on the legs and work some kinks out, you're gonna take that opportunity, so I think the the union are are, are gonna to try to use this uh match as as a way to um work out the kinks and and just get rid of some of that fatigue and some of that lag that is built up over the last four months
2: If I can comment also, I saw that you know if they win the group, then their first knockout round game would be at eight p m versus if they came in second, their knockout round game would be at ten thirty so that's a little added bonus not to want to have the 10:30 p.m game so who knows if they're actually going to think about that I don't know yeah. I would but <laughs> for sure
1: I mean that last night like that start time was so weird and I don't think anybody's conditioning when they're getting ready for the restart and the MLS is back tournament I don't think they're getting ready for a 10 30 match you know that that was just weird it wasn't organic at all
2: Exactly, and everything that goes on, you know, in terms of recovery after a match, you're pushing that extra, you know, one to three hours of recovery, and then in the middle of the night, and people are either going to want to skip that because they're just exhausted, want to go to sleep, or do it, and then they're not going to bed until three in the morning, and, you know, your whole recovery from an intense soccer match is just pretty much screwed.
1: No doubt.
3: I needed to recover from that match, so I don't know yeah. what it was like <laughs> for them. I can't imagine. Well, even even along those lines, think about
0: it. the union's first game was at 9 a.m. last Thursday, right? Their next game, 10:30. So, like, even just that, trying to, I think, mentally prepare, you have this huge gap. And even with that, just the lineup itself in the tournament, you're you're, and you're in Florida, so you're dealing with all of the heat, the rain in the in the more in the afternoon, um, in this bubble-conditioned city. And we'll get to that,
2: but. I think what you're the issue that you're looking at is how do you prepare? Yeah, I, don't know. Be, I, I think I think the ten thirty game would probably be a lot harder on most of the players, just because you have to sit there and be thinking about the game, you know, for twelve straight twelve hours before you actually get to play, and your pre-game prep doesn't start until seven thirty or eight at night. Versus the nine a.m. game, yeah, you have to get up really early, probably, you know, four thirty-five to have your pre-match meal kind of thing, but at least you know your work for the day is done at eleven thirty essentially kind of thing. So
1: I think also you're not really influenced by outside temptations. This is really with the bubble going on and really all professional sports it's all sports all the time and it has like an aau tournament type feel you know if you're playing basketball growing up in an aau tournament and you know that you got to play three games in one day you're not going to do anything but play basketball recover or prepare for basketball it's the same thing with with the bubble as well you're thinking breathing soccer and when you're not playing you're not practicing you're not preparing like Justin said, you're working on recovery. So you're not really influenced by any outside temptations. You're just focused all on soccer. And I think that makes the weird start times and, and and kind of the inorganic nature of this a little bit easier to prepare for and take.
3: Yeah, the only advantage now is that at least both teams are having to deal with it together compared to when it's like, you know, the Union fly out to Seattle or San Jose and they're used to it and the Union are trying to, if their body feels like it's one in the morning, uh, at least now that, both, you know, when both East Coast teams are playing at midnight, they're, they're it cancels out. There's no competitive advantage. It's
0: competitive advantage. You don't have fans. But they are somewhat – like, I, I heard it more in last night's broadcast of the, the pumping in the artificial crowd noise. I don't know if you guys picked it up. I didn't hear it as much in the first game. But you heard, like, some of the boos and some of the, like, cheering and all. Does that help? Like, just straight up, do you think that helps you as someone at home? Is that a competitive event? Like, because then on that
3: note, who's choosing it? Is there like a DJ with like a boo button and a cheer button and a chant button? Just like, where is it some, I mean, they're, it's like FIFA technology, isn't it? That they're just like turn, trying to make it like, you know, excited, not excited, shot, save. Uh, But for me, it doesn't do anything for me because it kind of just makes me check out because you can just tell that it's artificial.
1: I wanted to check in on this. So I I did some listening and researching as to how the networks are going to do a lot of this. For instance, in Major League Baseball, if the Mets are playing in Philadelphia Citizens Bank Park, the Mets broadcasters are still going to broadcast the game for – their network but they're going to be doing it from their own ballpark but the production crew at citizens bank park in philadelphia is going to handle the broadcast for that mets crew so when you watch these broadcasts you're going to see more of a neutral feel regardless of who the home team or the away team is and they're going to kind of play it down down the middle um, so I think that's kind of what you see with the MLS a little bit. Like, I, honestly, Chris, I think there is somebody who is handling, like, it's like a DJ. It's like, oh, well, we got to play it down the middle. We can throw a boo in here. We can throw a cheer in here. It's going to mostly be almost like a neutral broadcast, but for the players, it's got to be really weird, right? Cause they're on the pitch and they're scoring a goal and they hear fake cheers. They know that there's nobody there. I think it's more aesthetically for the fan and the viewer watching.
2: Yeah, I think I I cover the Bundesliga as well. And I know with their broadcast, they were de- pumping in the crowd noise. And I liked it on, you know, shots of the broadcast where it was really up close, just a person or two. You couldn't see that there was just playing an empty stadium and you got a little glimpse of that it was like normal. But, you know, when they have the full screen shot and there's clearly no fans in and they're pumping in just the constant cheering of the home team, it kind of is like, well, you know, living in a pandemic there's no fans there you know it's not stop trying to fake reality even though for the you know people sitting at home it's like okay you know kind of is like normal but you don't want to forget the time that we're living in kind of thing and I think also with the crowd noise it could be you know I know this conversation happens much more with European soccers where their brands are much more global and whether or not they're catering towards the fans in, you know, their specific city who go to the games or if they're catering towards the entire, you know, their global fan base, you know, with a lot of European soccer fans, you know, they have their match going fans and that's where a lot of their revenue comes from. And those people probably don't want any crowd noise and things like that. But you or I who sit, you know, sit here and, you know, I have no experience of watching or very little experience of watching European soccer live. So all I ever learn is, or know about is just on my couch. And so having the fan broadcast in is no different than normal. So that's catering towards, you know, me as, you know, a global fan, not necessarily catering towards the people who go every single week. And both fans are totally valid. It's just interesting to see which way, you know, the the clubs could go or the leagues could go. ESPN touted it as, this is how we're going to be able
0: to take chances and reinvent the broadcast, all you're seeing is a drone shot that's different and scaffolding.
1: What I'd be trying to do for a sport like soccer and the MLS that's really trying to pick up steam here, steam here in America uh, as compared to you know the other major sports, I would do this with MLS and I would do it with baseball. I would just mic everybody up. The technology is there. And I I think it would be really compelling and captivating to the viewer to kind of see these athletes and these coaches on more of a personal side and to take away from the awkwardness of there not being any fans in the stands that's why they pump in that fake crowd noise it's all for the broadcast to make it less awkward because an announcer can only get so excited he can only increase his vocal range that much before it's just like "Ah, that's a little too much or it just sounds weird because there's no roar after it so to take away from that awkwardness yeah drone shots different types of shots, different technology, but mic everybody up. And I know you're like, whoa, soccer players are running around all over the place and they don't have big uniforms. It's very light. Yeah. But like I said, I mean, you can have boom mics. You can have little lavalier mics that fit on these guys. I would do that with MLS and baseball. And it's a shame that we didn't use this as an opportunity to do more of those things because I think this should be the ultimate kind of testing ground and experiment for networks to play around with new things, because who knows, we might not have another opportunity like this to do those things again.
0: You want the XFL style
1: broadcast? Yeah. A little bit more yeah. of that. A little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, right. why not? I can't hear the roar. I love the roar from the crowd. So give me some, give me some smack talk.
0: You, you wanted to know like at the VAR, what they were actually talking about, because let's be honest, VAR is there. As we found out, we, Thought it was there. I mean, it was asleep, apparently, in the first <laughs> half of that game. Uh, but, like, you saw with that penalty kick that was called back, Vars there. It would have been interesting, I think, from Chase, your point. And, uh, Chris, let me know if you agree, to see what the conversation was, right?
3: Oh, yeah. I loved uh, on the XFL games where they'd be reviewing a play and they'd go up, you know, you hear the guy and he's, and they're just telling them. it's like, well, he did this and according to the rule book, you know, you can't do it that would be great if you had the VAR guy, you got to hear that and see what they're saying. Um, I feel like soccer though, you couldn't just start doing that because like the refs would, they're always so secretive and uh, I feel like the um, the decisions are much more controversial that they would probably fight that tooth and nail. But I think that would be something great I mean, you gotta, that's probably about the most interesting uh, dialogue you get because you do get some of the, the noise from the field, they're pulling some of that in, but it's just the same. You can almost make like a bingo card of like the things you hear. They're like, uh, you know, Hey, Hey, away, away. You know, they're just saying the same couple of things over. It's not, they're not like having conversations while they're playing down there or, you know, the, I'd love to have them mic'd up. I feel like it'd be TV uh, MA for language. Uh, I think every single soccer match I've watched (laughs) since soccer came back, Regardless of the country, the announcers had to apologize for the uh, language they picked up. Like like every single one, and not always in English. Sometimes in Italian too. I think it would have been a good start. Showed on
2: HBO or something. Yeah, for sure. I think a good starting point would would have been to mic up the managers. I think it's really interesting to hear what they're, you know, how they're communicating with their players. You get a little bit of that because there's no crowd noise. So, you can kind of hear all the different things that they're saying. But I think that, you know, for me would be fascinating just to hear about their in game, you know, trying to get their in game tactics on the fly adjusted, you know, communicating that. So you can kind of get a sense, you know, more of what's going through the manager's brain, you know, during the game, how they're adjusting and kind of thing. I think that could be interesting as opposed to necessarily the players. I think there's a lot of just yelling, rant, you know, one word. Things kind of thing. So not necessarily as like cohesive as what a manager can potentially do. If Latan was still in MLS,
3: I would want him mic'd
0: up.
2: Oh, there you go. I would go. just <laughs> want to hear what he says
3: for 90 minutes.
0: So as we've seen uh since the tournament started, FC Dallas showed up with positive players, vice versa quarantined, and then Nashville came down with
2: it, and both teams are out of the tournament. Um your thoughts. I think that initially the bubble city sounded like a decent idea. However, I think there's some critical protocols that they, you know, did not implement, which would have made it a lot better. I think the lack of, you know, for MLS specifically, the lack of the two-week quarantine once they got there was, I think, ultimately is why FC Dallas and Nashville had to pull out. Versus the NBA, who have had similar, not necessarily as widespread of tests, but similar positive tests. And like Sacramento, right now they have four or five players that have tested positive. Some of were positive and now are back practicing with their team again because they haven't. They were, were in Florida for long enough that they were able to self isolate, quarantine, and then recover enough to rejoin back with their team. I think not having a firm two weeks you needed to get down to Florida. And have a two week isolation before joining or before actually a competing. I think that was a critical misstep that MLS had. Uh,
3: I think it has a better chance of working for MLS because you got a lot of like teenage kids, younger guys who it's like uh, all you got to do is play soccer and then go back to your room and watch Netflix. You know, they can handle that. I think they're probably more equipped for that. But at the same time, it really is, it's a house of cards because it's worked fine. All the protocols have worked so far outside of the teams that didn't get into the bubble, Dallas and Nashville, really. Uh, but as soon as something, ha- just one thing happens, like a, a, a missed test or a missed positive, and it just go like someone on one team has it, and then someone on the team they just play gets it. As soon as that happens, it's all over.
1: Yeah, I think we have to look at these sports leagues as businesses and these franchises as businesses because that's what they are. And if they don't play, they're not going to generate any type of revenue and the players aren't going to get paid. So they're going to take and look at every single scenario uh, if that means that they can play and make a little bit of money. And for the players, I think a lot of them we've seen are willing to take that risk because if they don't play, they're not getting a paycheck. So they're willing to take that risk and compete. And then moving off of that, like – All of us, many of us at least, are dying to work. A lot of us are looking forward to getting back to work if we haven't been in our common workplace. Their jobs are to play sports, to play soccer, or to compete. And if they can't do that, I know for me, if I was out of work this entire time, it would drive me nuts. And I'm sure for a professional athlete who has a maniacal mindset because that's what it takes to be a professional athlete, being outside the competition for so long – has to just drive them nuts. Transitioning off of that, going off of everything that we found out uh, and looked into uh, about the virus, I think the bubble idea has been actually pretty smart. Now, you have to look at the situation and say, hey, we gotta be all right with people getting the virus. It's inevitable, it's gonna happen because we don't know where it is. And as, as many people have said, it's, it's kind of like a, a silent enemy. It's going to pop up. People are going to get it. That's what's going to happen. But if we're able to sequester these teams inside a confined area, we limit a lot of risks and we limit a lot of spread. And we saw that for some of the teams that were outside of the bubble, Dallas, Nashville, the the spread went rampant and they had to shut down their season. That's what we have to avoid in the NBA bubble, the MLS bubble. We just have to avoid the spread. If there's a guy or two or a handful of people who test positive, that's okay. But if it's an entire team that tests positive and then they pass that on to another team, that's when all of this could really, really go awry. But sequestering these teams inside a confined space and really just having them live there, I think is a smart idea in theory because, yeah, you know, the coronavirus can be airborne if somebody is like coughing, but it's not like traveling through the air great distances, right? So if you get everybody in and they all test negative, then the chances of it just like popping up inside that bubble are are very, very small. But Sean, you you bring up a good point in saying like a lot of the workers going in and out, yeah, they're not having to follow the same protocols. They are being exposed to uh, other areas outside of the bubble. And that could present some problems, but smart idea, I think.
2: Um, I just, I think with, you know, with talking about the bubble, there's another conversation you, I think we should have not necessarily on whether or not they can have it all happen in the bubble, whether or not they should be happening in the bubble and whether or not the resources that are needed to have be allocated to providing all the, you know, an insane amount of testing every single day for all of these players whether or not that sap on the resources in Florida is having a negative impact on the community in Florida. And I'm not sure. I don't know off the top of my head. I haven't read anything on whether or not it is or not, or, you know, cause these players who are getting tested, they get the results the same day. And so odds are that same turnaround is not necessarily happening in the rest of the community. And so maybe yes, all the players and all the, you know, the sports are happening and it's being done well in the bubble, but kind of like at what cost is it? there being a greater spread in the community because there's a sap of resources because of that. So I think like Chase said, you know, sports or businesses, they had to get some sort of league system going or else players wouldn't get paid. A lot of our teams would, you know, have not had any money and could potentially close down who knows, you know, what crazy circumstances could have happened. But I think there's, you know, additional moral arguments to be had, whether, you know, at what cost is, you know, is sports returned. So I just want kind of want to, that was my last thought on
3: the bubble. That at the end, this is all happening because MLS is a business. And that's why they're showing games at 9 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. It's not because they think, ooh, this is fun. It's because they have to give these networks a certain amount of content each year or they're out a lot of money And so that's why I think we as fans who are, you know, pretty low on the totem pole, as Justin pointed out, you know, there's people's lives and careers that are getting impacted by this stuff. But as fans, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty big MLS fan. I write about a team. I buy MLS gear. I, uh, you know, go to games and stuff and I, I pay for a streaming service primarily to watch games. And I can't watch any on that streaming service for, you know, for this big, return to soccer tournament, uh, you know, I can't even follow it uh, as I would want. I have to stay up late and watch games on Twitter on, any, on other channels that I uh, wouldn't normally have to do. So I think I don't know who this tournament is ultimately for other than the people who need to make money right now because the fans are kind of not getting a lot out of it. The players aren't getting a lot out of it. The people who have to work to make this happen aren't getting a lot out of it. And it's so there is sort of like this era of contractual obligation that's undercutting everything and kind of taking away some of the fun You know, as much as fun as it is to see the union win. Uh, I'd rather not then be awake at one in the morning or having to wake up at super early to see it happen. I'd much rather, I'd feel better if maybe they had just waited, you know, put the games on ESPN plus that I could just watch them easily. Uh, you know, let, let everything cool down. And if they had to say like, okay, this is not going to happen this year. That's it. Everyone would have been safe and they wouldn't have had to like do some of this stuff. But uh, you know, as, as, as great as it is to have it back, have soccer back. I still feel kind of left out that it's so hard to try. Why is it easier for me to be watching uh, games in Sweden than it is to be watching games in America? Uh, that's one, That's why I feel a little left out by the whole, tournament uh,
1: format. I think for any expansion team in any sport, it's really hard to get off the ground, uh, especially for the union. They're in a really competitive market when they were first founded in Philly, and it was hard for them to gain exposure. And I know that they haven't had boatloads of success, and at times they've been in the middle of the pack. But you go back, uh, what, six years ago now, is really critical for them to really hit it with their number one pick uh, when they selected Andre Blake and to see him kind of grow and develop over the years, I think has been pretty neat. There was a lot of pressure on the union to really nail down that selection. How many times have we seen number one picks in all sports just go wrong, turn into busts, and it's really crippling for a franchise. But now you look at Blake and he leads the MLS tournament uh, in saves so far. He's really helped carry them through the first two games. And when you have a steady goalkeeper, it just really helps with the foundation and future of that team but especially in a weird situation like this where I think down the stretch as these games become more and more competitive they're going to be a little bit more low scoring and defensive oriented it's going to be really important to have a goalie who you can really trust and lean on and it's been cool to see Blake develop into that guy.
0: Chris, Justin, Chase, thank you for this uh Guys, uh, it's been fun. It's been a wonderful evening.
3: Hopefully we do this again. And everyone, thank you for watching the latest roundtable.